Hi, my name is Dan Ariely, and welcome to Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast about science. Every week, I will talk to one researcher about one project who will have a chat about what they found and what it means for our lives. Dan's guest this week is John Payne, professor of management and marketing at the Fuqua School of Business. So I'm privileged to sit here with the famous John Payne. And uh, John, I understand that you have a relatively recent interest in unconscious thoughts. Uh, can, can we really have unconscious thoughts? Some people have recently argued that actually unconscious thinking is the better way to make decisions. What, what, what do you mean by better? Well, I give you a task where you have to make a choice among some options, like cars, and I set you up in a situation where you're either going to consciously think about that decision for some period of time, or you're going to go off and do some other task for an equal period of time, not really thinking about the decision that you had in, to deal with, so, so let me understand. So you're saying, here's a Toyota or Honda or something else, think about it carefully, or you say, here's a Toyota, Honda, and something else, um, go and work in the garden for a while. Exactly. And there are some people who have argued that if you go and work in the garden for a while and then come back, knowing that you're going to come back to the decision on whether to buy a Honda or a Toyota, you'll make a better decision than if you took the time that you were in the garden to actually carefully consider and think about the various good and bad parts of Hondas, Toyotas, etc. I, I don't believe that. How can this be? Well, I don't believe it either. But there is some research done by a man named Dijksterhaus and some of his students who essentially, he argued, showed that. Um, where what he did was he gave people information on four different cars, uh, 12 different attributes, like whether they had a sunroof or not. Uh, presented that information, told them that after they'd gotten all the information, I want you to be, people are in one of two conditions. Condition one, you got four minutes to think about it, and then I'm going to ask you what you choose. Condition number two is, I want you to go off and do some other tasks for four minutes. At the end of that task, come back and tell me which car you prefer. And what he showed is that for the task he did, the people who went off and did the other tasks, worked in the garden, to use your example, uh, actually ended up choosing the better car more often. That's amazing. So does that mean that from then on you started not thinking about all your important decisions? No. What it meant was at that point I did a piece of research to see whether or not that effect was real and what the boundary conditions were, I mean, where it would work and where it would fall apart. Okay, so what, what did you do? Basically, I uh, did two studies. first study was meant to try to mimic as much as possible what uh, Dijksterhaus had done, see if we could reproduce the result. And? And the answer was we could. However, we added one more condition, which is we gave people a situation where we told them, think about the problem, but don't think for four minutes. Think about however long you need and then make the decision. And in that case, people tended to think about 20, 25 seconds on the decision and then make a decision. It turned out for stimulus that were very similar to the structure he had, we got the same effect he did. Unconscious thought, people went off and worked in the garden, did better than those who thought for four minutes. But those people who thought 
for 25 seconds until they you know, were comfortable with making a decision, did every bit as well as the unconscious thought. So, so what this basically suggests that it's not so much unconscious versus conscious, that it's if you ask people to think too much, then they can actually make a mistake. Is that, is that conscious, correct? You can do bad conscious thinking, and when you do bad conscious thinking, you make bad decisions. Okay, that, that's very interesting. Now, in what cases do you think in life do we try too much to make conscious decisions and spend too much time on those? I think there are situations where because a decision is important, or we at least perceive it as important, we may study and study and study. And a good example might be in some financial decisions or college choice decisions, etc. And what we end up doing sometimes is, because we overthink it, we start paying attention to irrelevant information as much as relevant information. Okay, so that's, that's uh, amazing, and I think it has all kinds of interesting lessons. But you said you ran another study. Well, the second study we did was actually set it up. In the first study that had been done by Dykstra House and his colleagues, the attributes were all one zero, either good, bad. So we actually did it. So, so for example, what's a good, bad attribute in well, cars? Well, if you like a sunroof, then a car that has a sunroof is good. If it doesn't have a sunroof, that's bad. Okay, so it wasn't things like color or engine size. It was just on-off attributes. Right, on-off attributes. So we asked the question, well, if suddenly it wasn't on-off, but magnitudes mattered, so, for example, if we gave you a lottery task, and it wasn't just whether you won money or didn't, but you could either win $4 or 14 So how, how would that look like, the task? Well, basically, this task was we actually had a physical lottery, and there were 12 balls in there numbered 1 to 12, and we had four lotteries that were whatever ball was drawn and whatever lottery you selected had a payout. Payouts could either be zero, you got nothing, to you got $2, $4, $8, $14. Okay, so there was a ball and there was a ticket, and depending on what combination of balls and tickets you got, you made different amounts of money exactly. all the way from zero to 14, whatever, $16. To, to $14, $16. Okay, so people did this task how many times? They did this task one time for real payoffs. Okay, we used the same task that Dykstra House had done. And what we found is that where we set up the task so that the magnitudes of the payoffs mattered more, it really mattered, you know, there, you had a big difference. So in some cases you could win $4 versus 14 as opposed to 4 versus 8. Okay, so, so, so for some people the, the range of possible rewards was rather limited, so it didn't really matter so much That's what right. they want. For some people it was a wide range, so they really wanted to and make... Where the payoffs mattered the more, the magnitudes mattered the more. There we found that the conscious self-thought actually outperformed the unconscious. And was this in a condition where people were forced to think for a long time or in a condition that you let them think as much we as they had, wanted? We had three conditions. We had a sort of unconscious go off to the garden, forced to think for a, whole, a long time, or this self-paced. And what we found is that, yes, when you're forced to think for a long time, you don't think well, don't make good decisions. But in situations where magnitudes mattered, conscious thought started to be clearly better than unconscious thought. Okay, so now we say unconscious thought has some advantages, conscious thought has some advantages, but conscious thought has the possible downside of thinking too much can, can hurt it. So in what situations would you think un- in real life is unconsciousness, unconscious thought better than conscious thought if you could decide for yourself how long to think about it? I don't know if there's ever a situation where it's better. It may be as good, it can be faster, possibly. Uh, I have no evidence 
based the right now that it is ever better than conscious self-paced. Okay, so maybe maybe it's not better, but sometimes it's surprisingly good. Yeah, it's surprisingly good. I think it's surprisingly good in situations where it is the things you're talking about are on off. Unconscious thought, I suspect, is pretty good at counting. Uh-huh. What it's not particularly good at is the magnitudes that are involved. Okay, so, so every time you have a more complex decision with the magnitude matter, matter um, you probably don't want to leave your unconscious... You don't want to go to the garden. <laughs> yes, <coughs> that's great. Um, let me ask you one last thought, which is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, people read Blink as uh, an idea that trusting your gut intuition is, is a good thing to do. Any, any reflection on that, given your research? Yes, most people read the first half of Blink. They don't read the second half of Blink. If you read the second half of Blink, he actually, to be honest and fair to Malcolm, Bell Idwell, he actually points out the places where your gut can lead you astray. And it turns out that your gut quick Blink responses work well under certain circumstances. You get clear feedback, you get a lot of it, you can over time learn. And you then make a decision that there's some stability in terms of decision now is mapped onto decisions that you learn from. If that's not true, your gut can lead you very much astray. That's great. Thank you very much. Thank you. This has been Arming the Donkeys, a weekly podcast with Dan Ariely, professor of behavioral economics at Duke University. Learn more at research.duke.edu.